Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. No special announcements or anything, so I'm just going to jump right into it. First up, I'm sure most of you have already heard that Nintendo announced a new version of the Switch. This one has an OLED screen, a built-in LAN adapter into the dock, and 64 gigs of built-in storage instead of 32 gigs. And it's going to be $350 available this October. And I don't believe any pre-orders are open. I think a bunch of websites have placeholder pages, but no pre-orders open yet. And I got to be honest, I have no idea who this product is for. Um, maybe it's just my grumpy old man gamer sense. But, you know, on the flip side, when the Switch Lite was released, I completely understood where who that product was for and why they did it. Nintendo probably looked at their analytics. They probably saw something like most of the users were playing in handheld mode, not docked mode. So they built a version of that product catered to them. Lighter, built-in Joy-Cons, cheaper, um, and that could play the exact same games. So everybody kind of wins. I, I totally understood that. But I just don't know who would buy this one for a $50 premium. You know, the built-in LAN adapter is nice, but you can get a USB version of that. You could do more storage just by adding a memory card to it. So really the only thing that would drive people to spend $50 more is the OLED screen. But maybe I'm not understanding who that who the draw is for that. Who would spend that much more money on something to specifically use a better screen in handheld mode? Because, you know, unless things are changing very quickly, I was under the impression that people who would want to spend more money and appreciate something like an OLED are generally people who would want to play on a giant 4K OLED, where I guess there certainly would be a commuter mentality, people on the subway or the trains who, you know, adults they have the money they appreciate the quality I totally get that but I just I don't see that being such a giant group of people that they would make another revision so it leaves me questioning what their real motives are is it just that the switch is coming to the end of its life and they want one more little boost to keep sales going until they announce something new next year obviously that's all speculation I don't have any proof of any of this stuff I'm just kind of looking at it from somebody who's designed and released products before and had to cater to the customers and everything else so I'm just kind of pretending I'm sitting in their you know in their boardroom figuring this out um, is it is it another step towards evolving the original switch in that they're going to say, okay, well, this $350 is going to be the premium uh, portable version, and then next year we'll have a $350 console-only 4K version, so the games perform the same. You know, 720p uh, on the original processor would perform the same as 4K with whatever is coming next. I, I don't know. None of that would make sense to me, though. I think the only thing that makes the most sense would be because of part shortages, whatever else they had planned this year, whether it was another model, whether it was the Switch 2, regardless, they didn't get it and they promised their shareholders something. So this is 
a slapped together upgrade. That's my only guess. So, um, but my question is really just why not anything negative about it? And, you know, if you think, hey, an OLED switch is awesome, my switch is getting beat up, I would love to upgrade to this, there's, you know, uh, nothing but positivity there. Uh, the only, I don't even know if I'd call it negativity, it's just confusion for me as to why this exists when you could create something a little bit different that would bring on a whole new group of gamers like the light. Whereas this, I just, I don't, I just don't get it. So please explain to me in the comments. I'm often wrong. I often appreciate when uh, people take the time to explain it. Um, but I don't know if anybody really has the answer to this. And maybe even Nintendo doesn't. Maybe Nintendo was just throwing darts at a wall and was like, all right, this is the easiest one. Let's just do it and deal with it. So kind of weird. But hey, if you were looking for an OLED version of the exact same Switch that's already been out for a while, here you go. Here's a really interesting one for mystery users. Developer Robert Pipe has released beta cores for the Game Boy Advance and Game Boy Color, which also plays Game Boy games, that allow two players to play on the same mister and on the same screen if you prefer. It's a really interesting concept in that it's essentially running two cores at the same time, and then you just use two controllers plugged in, and you could split so that there's two players on the same screen, which is the only option now for Game Boy Color and original Game Boy. And Game Boy Advance has some pretty interesting options where you could have them on the same screen in both horizontal or vertical orientation, or you could have player two outputting through the analog output of the IO board and player one through the HDMI output, which I thought was really cool because you still have true dedicated two screen, two controller support as if you had two handhelds. Um, now, the Game Boy Color version could also output to an analog monitor, but it's just whatever's on the main screen is also on that. It's not one screen per player like the Game Boy Advance version, but it's really awesome. And I think over the years, there's been so many times I've really wanted to experience this and wanted to see what it was like, but then you would need two games or two EverDrives or something, or one game and one EverDrive, two Game Boys, two Link cables, and then you would kind of need to, to sit staring at the tiny little older screen, or I guess if you have an IPS replacement. So it, it was always a bit cumbersome, whereas now it's you just need a mister and a second controller and a second person to, to play with, and that's it. So I feel like this is going to be a pretty good way for people that want to experience these games to try them out. Um, and who knows? I mean, this might be good enough for most people. This might push people to go get the link cable and multiple copies and have the original experience. It's, it's awesome no matter how you look at it. The only thing to note is you have to manually install these because there's a few issues with this. First, this could never be rolled into the official cores forum. Uh, Robert also made the Game Boy Advance core and has contributed features to the Game Boy, Game Boy Color core, but it could never be rolled in because these cores use every bit of the FPGA and can't fit anything else. And in fact, the cores themselves are stripped of extra features like fast forward, rewind, and stuff like that. So... It always would have to be a second core that you launch, and it's not automatically being downloaded in any of the scripts at the moment because it is a bit confusing if you didn't listen to this or read the post or have been following Robert's work because why are there two cores? How could one works differently than the other? So uh, I gave a kind of a quick and easy guide on how to install it. It's really super easy. You basically just download the RBF files, copy them to the console directory, create new games folders for them, copy the BIOS files over, and then 
At the very least, you need to copy those BIOS files to the new folders. You could launch games from the original Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance folders, but then you might have saved, uh, save files that overlap. So Robert just suggested copy the two player games you want to play to those new folders and you don't have to worry about any of that. I also found it much easier to just navigate a small directory with a few files in it as opposed to going through the entire Game Boy library looking for the two player games and stuff. So it's a little bit of manual installation, but it's very, very easy. If you know how to copy files and create folders and unzip something, then then you're totally good to go. You don't need anything crazy. And I, I detailed it in the post if you're interested. So very, very cool. Um, just a little side note that I have been following. I, I follow pretty much everything that comes out of the Mr. Uh, Mr. Team and the people contributing. I've specifically been following this since Robert first mentioned it, but I didn't want to run out and post until it was stable until I knew exactly what it could do and, and why it was in the state it was in. So I think some people get annoyed with me that I don't immediately post something on the website as soon as it's released. But uh, respectfully, we're not a, a clickbait site. We're not here to scream first post and, and all that. We're here to get the information out the, as best as we can. And for stuff like this, I would much rather just wait take my time and be able to present it in a way like this, where you know exactly what you're getting, how to get it, uh, and how it's different from the others, as opposed to first post, look at this. So, you know, I'm not trying to shame anybody else for doing that, by the way. It's just, you know, the different flavors are the same thing. And this is how I've chosen to do it right or wrong, probably wrong, because all the other sites and YouTube channels are doing much better. <laughs> so I'm probably doing it wrong. But uh, it's the way I'd prefer to do it, you know, a more level headed approach. So, uh, you know, if you don't see something on retro RGB, I do always appreciate the heads up. Appreciate it a little more if it's worded nicely, but either way, I appreciate it. Uh, but sometimes the reason it's not up here is because we don't have time to get to it. Sometimes, and you might not like this answer, but sometimes it's something that I really want to talk about, but I only have time to write one post, and I have to choose between writing a post about a channel that's got half a million subscribers or something that's not as popular that people need to, I, th I think, need to know about. I'm going to choose the smaller one because I don't really feel like that other person needs that much help. I mean that with love and respect and praise, of course. But uh, so, yeah, sometimes I've missed some modern vintage gamer stuff that I think you all like because you probably all follow MVG anyway. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that's pretty much it. Uh, either, you know, I didn't have time. Uh, it, it had to choose one over the other. Or sometimes it's like this where I just want to wait and, and kind of see how things hash out, which is why I get constant messages now about another product that's uh, just been released uh, for people wondering why I haven't had the video out. There's a reason. Good reason. All positive. 100%. So, yeah, just be patient. Sorry for the extra rant on on the end of something that was totally awesome and should have been all about Robert's work. Sorry, I didn't mean to make that one about me. I just felt like an explanation was was necessary for some people who, uh, who were upset that I didn't talk about this on day one. A new Virtual Boy demo was just released called Capitan Sevilla 3D. And this game started out as a game called Capitan Sevilla in the late 90s for the MSX and ZX Spectrum computers, I believe some other retro computers as well. And then in 2010, a spiritual sequel tribute, however you want to refer to it, was created called Capitan Sevilla 2, and it was part of the 2010 Virtual Boy coding contest. And it wasn't in 3D, but it still worked on the Virtual Boy. And now Team VUE Engine, VU Engine, 
probably saying that wrong, uh, has taken that demo, cleaned it up, added some new features like True 3D, and now they've released it as a demo called Capitan Sevilla 3D. And it's fully open source, and it's at the point now where the team feels like it's as good as they could get it, and they don't really have the time to go and, and make it anything more than what it is. But the source is open, so if anybody wants to continue this game and make it anything different or evolve it, they're welcome to. It's basically a fun-looking side-scroller adventure game. Uh, typical retro style. It looks pretty cool. I haven't had time to test it on my Virtual Boy, but it is proven to work on the Hyper Flash 32. Uh, and it even has some of the files so you could have the thumbnails for it for the e-ink screen on that. So if you want more information, please check out the post. Uh, and if you don't know what a Hyper Flash 32 is, no problem. Check out the video on that as well to explain all of that stuff. But as always, I'm really happy to see stuff coming out of the Virtual Boy, new games, new features. I just think it's a console that has a lot of terrible stuff involved with it, but it's also a lot of really cool things and a lot of fun games and a lot of neat accessories. So homebrew accessories, I should say, created by the community, not by Nintendo. So definitely check this out. And uh, if you're even slightly interested in the Virtual Boy, give it a chance. It's got its, um, it's certainly got its redeeming factors. If you own a Sony L-Series monitor, you should definitely pay attention to this next segment. Martin Heinfeld, the creator of the 129X replacement card that I did a video on last year, has just released a dual version of that card, which accepts SCART as well as D-Sub VGA in both RGBS and RGBHV configurations. And this could be installed in any of the Sony L-Series monitors that have an expansion slot, as well as the DH monitors. So the BVM D9H or D14H, and there might be a few others that I haven't tested yet. But overall, this card, I think, is a must-buy for most L5 users, because that's the scenario in which you would get the most out of this, because the L5s are multi-format monitors. They accept 240p, 480i, 480p, and even above. So adding this card allows you to just plug in a VGA cable from something like a Dreamcast or a retro PC running 480p out, and now you're essentially turning that L5 into a VGA monitor, which is really cool. And you press a button, and now you can switch to the SCART input. So if you're somebody who doesn't like the dangling SCART to BNC adapters, this is you know a pretty good fit for you. And as I show in the video, you could basically set up the monitor now so each input is configured separately. So you could have, it's almost like you just added these inputs officially from the factory to these cards. Now, it will also work on the Sony L2s. But if those monitors don't support 480p, this isn't going to miraculously add it. But you might still benefit depending on your setup. Uh, you know, if you have D-sub connectors that are outputting RGBS or RGBHV with 15 kilohertz signals, if you're going from something like a switch that has a D-sub output, you know, this is easier. Plus, you could have direct SCART if you ever just want to add something. So it's still something to consider. The only scenarios in which I'd say you probably don't need it are if you already have a fully automated setup. So, you know, your Extron Crosspoint, your G-SCARTs, whatever it is, they already do all the switching, and you don't really need to mess with the monitor at all. You probably don't need this. You might still want it just for, hey, you know, if I ever want an extra input, you know, just to skip the automated setup, just to test something, this might be easy, but maybe not. And if you have an H-series BVM that already has the 129X, 
then this is just adding inputs without really changing any of the sync issues those monitors have. And just a quick overview, the sync issues are not in the original Sony 129X card, and they're not in this card. The sync issues are in the monitor itself. So we're still trying to figure out the best way to solve that. But I just kind of wanted to be honest because I was pretty... Uh, I was pretty outgoing in the video about if you own an L5, you should probably buy one of these. And I just wanted to make sure I was clear in, both in the video and here about that because I don't want to come across as a shill, but I do want to say exactly how I feel and tell my opinion. So I wanted to make sure to give both sides. You know, here's the people that I strongly feel should buy one of these. Here's the people that probably don't need it. Maybe you're somewhere in the middle. All of that's cool. Uh, also, Castlemania Games is doing the, uh, the main pre-order. I believe they've almost arrived, so if you buy it, it'll arrive fairly quickly. Uh, Retroupgrades.co.uk, I believe, will also be selling them. And you could make your own if you would like, because Martin has this as a fully open-sourced project. Uh, so if you'd like, you could have the boards made, solder all the connectors in yourself. And uh, if you're making one, it, depending on shipping and where you are, it probably it's going to be more expensive. Uh, if you're making a couple of them, then you'd probably break even or, or save some money, depending on where you live and stuff like that. So check out the post in the video for all the info you need. Um, and you'll be hearing a lot more from Martin and I in the coming week or two. So uh, if basically, if you're really into PVMs and BVMs, even if you don't own them, you're just interested in them, this is going to be a good week. Retro Gamer Store wanted to post an interest check to see if people wanted clear Mega Drive or Genesis shells made the same way that they make the Super Nintendo and PC Engine ones. Now, the picture posted is just a Photoshop render. It's not a prototype yet, and it really is just an interest check to see if these should be made. Now, this should be an easy post, and this should have been a short section, but there's actually a lot more that goes into this and some uh, controversy, if you will, about these shells and the things behind them. So I'll run through it as quickly as I can, but these are injection molded shells, and they're very good quality, and they use methods that have them come out in such good quality that they could be made clear without a lot of crazy blemishes. And that's not easy to do at all. It's something that I did as part of one of the other jobs that I used to work was uh, I understood the injection molding process and we made products through that. So these shells that Retro Game Restore sells are not cheap, but it's one of those you get what you pay for scenarios. They probably could have made cheap, thin plastic ones with lots of blemishes that don't really do a good job as clear for, you know, for less, but... I have a feeling that most people that want to buy these want a high quality replacement. And while the Genesis consoles aren't yellowing and cracking like Super Nintendo ones, they are scratched up and old just like you would expect something that old to be. So I imagine there's a lot of scenarios of people wanting something like this. And even if you've done some crazy mods like a triple bypass, it's pretty cool to be able to show off your work in, in a nice aesthetic way like that. So I'm sure if they are made, they're not going to be cheap. And another factor in the price is these are made in quantities of 500 they have to pre-order 500 in order to make them. And that's not so common with injection molding. You usually have to order them, especially larger stuff like this, minimum of 1,000, but they like even more. They like 5,000 or 10,000. And they expect you, uh, the, the companies that make these also expect you to, to get back the cost over the sales of all of these. So technically, if there were 10,000 of these made, they'd probably be 50 bucks each as opposed to maybe, I'm guessing, no price at all, but probably around 120 again like the other ones. 
So I think people have a hard time understanding that. And I think other people have a hard time understanding the difference between cool shell, but too expensive for what I want versus you're ripping me off. That's a terrible price. You know, the first one is a very level-headed opinion that you're entitled to. And the second one is a very stupid thing to say. So I wanted to make sure to, to explain why there's a minimum order, why the price is the way it is, and why uh, you should probably just be polite and patient talking about which one you want. Because that's the other thing that happened last time that really upset me. I, I edited my my section when I was talking about this last time because I, I just I thought it came across too negative. I'll try to get it a little more happy and positive this time. But the last time Retro Gamer Store did an interest check was when they put out the Super Nintendo shells and got a whole bunch of trolls telling them that's dumb. Super Nintendo's are stupid. You get a Super Famicom instead. Those are the better cases. So they listened, and they made the Super Famicom shells, and they even made the extra top so you could use North American and uh, Super Famicom games on it, and not as many people bought them. So it's kind of hard to listen to an interest check if the loudest voices are the trolls that aren't even buying your products anyway. So I don't have an answer to that one. I have a very reasonable answer to all of the injection molding cost stuff. I just don't know what the right move is on this one. So the only thing I could say is maybe if you have a, a reason that you would like to see a specific model, the original Mega Drive Model 1, the Genesis Model 2, whatever it is, just just tweet, uh, you know, reply to the tweet with a reasonable explanation for it. Even if it's, I grew up with one of these and that's the one I want. And hopefully Retro Game Restore could judge the market based on the polite responses. And we could all just con hopefully continue to ignore the trolls. Because that's more proof than ever that the, you know, the loudest trolly voices don't matter at all. Because they didn't actually step up to the plate. So, you know, rant over here. But uh, I just, I felt like this should have been a 30 second segment that everybody would have just known what to do. But based on all of the comments I get on a constant basis, I needed to take the time to explain all of this out. So you know why it's expensive and you know why there's a bunch of trolls yelling at you because you didn't make the exact thing that they wanted that they weren't going to buy anyway. I don't know. Uh, also, uh, on a much happier note, I'd like to welcome a track 17 to the team. This is their first post. Uh, sorry that the first post ended in a weird rant about Twitter trolls, but it is what it is. Uh, but I've been talking uh, with the Track 17 over, I don't know, almost a year now, maybe a little less, about a bunch of different projects. And there's a bunch of cool stuff going on, so expect a few more posts, ranging from cool stuff that you've seen like this to some other projects that we've been working on that are going to be a lot of fun. So uh, welcome and thank you. Uh, and also, you know, once again, post your, post your thoughts to Retro Game Restore if you want one of these. Gamebox Systems has just released two HDMI-based consolization kits for the Game Boy Color and the original DMG. Both kits remove the buttons and the screen from functionality, so it truly is a consolization, but it adds a port for a Super Nintendo controller and, once again, an HDMI output that you could set to either 480p or 720p. Uh, Tito from Macho Nacho Productions did a whole video on it that shows the installations of both, the performance, and it does an interview with the team behind Gamebox Systems, which is always really important to me. I always love to highlight the creators behind these amazing products as much as the products themselves, because uh, I think we have a lot of superheroes, if you will, in retro gaming that uh, more people need to need to be introduced to. So very cool of Tito to do all of that stuff. 
Um, now, I've used uh, at least one or two of Game, Boy Syst- Game Box Systems products before. I used the original DMG consoleizer, which worked great, but it had a VGA out that presented a bunch of problems that have nothing to do with Game Box Systems or the, the Game Boy itself. It's just your typical analog going to digital problems. So... You know, if you're plugging it directly into a VGA monitor, I'm sure it looked amazing. But if you're trying to get it into your flat panel TV, do you need a low pass filter? Is it going to be compatible? You know, what kind of converter do you need? It's just the the typical problem of any 800 by 600 VGA source going to a modern scaler, capture card, TV, whatever else. Whereas this just completely eliminates all of the problem. It's just a digital HDMI out. If you do want to use a VGA monitor, flip it over to uh, VGA mode, 480p, and then use a cheap um, digital to analog converter, which you have none of the issues that you would worry about going on the opposite side of things. Or if you're just going into a capture card, you could choose either resolution. And of course, if you're going to a, a flat panel to game on i would go with 720p everything should line up just perfectly there so very cool kits um uh very awesome video from tito and if you want more info definitely check everything out here but uh, i'm definitely a fan of game box systems and the products they make and i think there's there's absolutely a market for this now the only other thing to put out there once again there's nothing to do with these products or game box systems but if you're looking for a kit for your dmg or your game boy color either one of these is awesome but if you were looking for one solution that can do all of the Game Boy and Game Boy Advance games, you might want to look into a Game Boy Advance consoleizer. Or if you already own a GameCube, pick up Game Boy Player hardware, but the Game Boy interface software. Don't use the disc that comes with that. Extrems has created this thing that's way better in every way anyway. Links are all in the post if you're interested. Um, so there, there's And there's even a, a Game Boy Advance option from Gamebox Systems that I believe you could build yourself and a few others out there ranging in quality. Um, so I, I would, I would definitely take a step back and say, you know, do you want one solution to do everything? Do you prefer the features of this? Do you want one for each because you're a huge retro gaming fan and this stuff's important to you? There's no wrong answer. There's just whatever's the more right answer for you. Is that correct? More right answer? That sounds like I'm saying it wrong, but I think you know what I mean. So please check out Tito's video for all the info you'd you'd need on this um, and a cool interview with the original team that that did it uh, and links to everything are right here in the post. Pre-orders have just been opened on a MIDI synth interface for the Super Nintendo and Super Famicom. That's essentially a cartridge that's region-free, will work on all SNES units, and allows you to either connect it to a PC or connect it to an audio keyboard, you know, like a like a music piano looking keyboard, not like a clickety keyboard like, you know, like this one, um, that allows you to use the Super Nintendo's chips to create music in real time directly. And any anybody who's into chip tunes, any musician that's trying to do stuff like this, I think might really enjoy using something like it. Uh, the pre-sales are $100. The pre-order window will be open for about three months, ending on October 15th of this year. Um, and it probably is going to be a single run of production, which makes sense because stuff like this, I imagine every Super Nintendo musician out there uh, is probably going to buy one of these and then right away, and then it might not be a, a big enough market for a second run. But hey, maybe I'm wrong and maybe these will sell out and they'll immediately need another batch. But definitely check out the website and definitely pre-order if you're interested because I don't like to see stuff like this fall to the wayside. I think this is just too cool of a product. Um, And even though I don't really do 
digital music like this. I just, you know, my my old meathead self only plays guitar and I don't even really like messing with Pro Tools that much and just for basic cut and pasting editing. But um, I, I think I might even pick up one of these just for the fun of it. I just the Super Nintendo and the Genesis are consoles I love so much. I like the music in so many of those games. And I think the thought of me creating something through a Super Nintendo using a musical keyboard is is just too cool to pass up. Even if I only mess with it and I stink at it and I don't actually write any music, I still think I would have a lot of fun. I could probably say that about my guitar playing too. I've put out a couple albums, but like I never cared. I just wanted to play because I was I, I like the music that I play and you know, whether it's other people's songs or my own, and I think it would be the same with this. Uh, I also would love to see a bunch of fun covers of other songs played on a keyboard through a Super Nintendo. So, as you could tell by how much I'm gushing over this, I love the SNES, I love music, and somebody just put them both together, so I'm very happy. Uh, for a lot more details, please check out Vanessa's post, and it also has a video embedded that has the original uh, tease and the, the full launch of it as well, so if you're interested in this, please check out Vanessa's post, but... Hopefully all the retro game-loving musicians out there would at least consider this one. Voltar recently posted a video about fixing badly modded Super Nintendos, and he kind of went off on a polite rant at the end that I wanted to talk about here, because uh, I think a lot of people don't really understand that part of things. I'll get to that in a second. But I do want to say that if you've followed this channel for a while, or if you follow Voltar's work, or if you just don't care about modding, then just close the podcast or the YouTube window now. You definitely don't need to hear this. But if you're a newcomer, um, or if you're into modding, or if you kind of want a little more insight on some of this stuff, stick around with me. But the uh, the happy rant Zach went on at the end of this video was basically con- confirming and clarifying that the people that that the character Zach plays called Lord Voltar, the people that Lord Voltar mocks in these videos, are people who call themselves professional modders, who basically ruin people's consoles and charge a lot of money for it. And that's, that is the focus of the mocking and the, here, let me show you how to fix this. Never just somebody who's modding their own console. Now, I did want to go through this a few years ago and discuss the differences between good and bad mods. So I asked Zach to to mock my work. I put that out there, and I did the video with him, so I I hope that nobody would understand that if they see me laughing in the video on my channel mocking my own mod work, but we did that because we wanted it to be fun and silly, and we wanted to laugh, and we enjoy laughing at each other, but we also did it to go through the differences between what's good mod work and what's bad mod work, and more importantly, why? And you know, love him or hate him, Zach's always had a pretty clear reputation of saying, if somebody says, hey, I just modded this console for myself, what do you think? He might say something like, good first try, but, you know, here's everything you did wrong. Here's what you need to do next time. You know, as long as you're not selling this work to anybody else, it should be fine. And that's, that's really, that's, the Zach side of things. But when people say, hey, I bought this console for $500 from a professional modder on eBay. Isn't this great? They have a thousand positive feedback, so this must be awesome. And you open it up and it's wads of glue and cold solder joints and sometimes just destroyed motherboards. That's who Lord Voltar goes after. And I I stand behind him 100%. Uh, There's a giant difference between people trying to learn and people, maybe it's a play ignorance. They don't realize how bad their work is or maybe it's that weird 
Dunning-Kruger, narcissistic, uh, you know, delusions of grandeur. I am amazing, and my work is perfect, and I'm better than Voltar ever will be, and I'm going to fill this console with glue and prove you wrong. And that, those, are the, those are the people who get mocked, and I'm fine with that because those people just end up stealing people's money, essentially. No matter how you look at it, somebody had a console that was in good condition that's now ruined or near ruined that they got charged for. So... I stand by it, and I just wanted to give some quick tips, especially coming from me, who is obviously not the best modder, but the work I do is solid, it doesn't look the prettiest, and it's a good example if you're modding stuff for yourself that you just want to get the work done. So the number one tip I always give is buy the right tools. That does not mean buy expensive tools, and I am living proof of that. I had a setup of a desoldering gun, a soldering station, and some extra tips that were terrible. I thought they were good, and I eventually upgraded. Upgraded is a funny word because they were actually cheaper, but I upgraded to the right equipment, and everything changed. I could now drag solder. Desoldering takes a minute instead of 20, and I know I've never pulled off any traces while desoldering now, whereas before I did. So getting the right equipment, you don't have to spend a lot, but but get the right stuff or you're just going to, not only are you not going to be able to do it as well, but everything's going to take longer, everything's going to be harder, and there's more of a chance of you damaging something in the process. The only other tip that I strongly, strongly recommend is find a piece of electronics that was in the garbage or about to be in the garbage and practice on that because it's already dead so you can't waste something that's already dead in fact you could look at it as look at you know you're, you're breathing new life into this by using it as a learning opportunity but basically take a piece of electronics look at the board look at the mod you want to do and find stuff that's about the same all right the pins are about the same distance apart let me practice soldering to those oh that's a via well i need to use a via over here all right well let me grab some flux and and try to figure that out and practice on the thing that's already garbage and that's i mean that's something even people mid-level not any you know up to expert might do and that like oh man i need to drag solder across a, a pinout that's really close together let me practice this let me use flux let me not use desolder braid because you don't want to pull traces off the motherboard if you do it wrong that's one i learned the hard way a few times actually so practice on something and just have realistic expectations. You're not going to mod a Super Nintendo for RGB today and then tomorrow do a DC Digital install. I mean, unless you have lots of previous experience, of course, but if you've never touched a soldering gun before, that's not really it. And you shouldn't go into the attitude thinking that's what's going to happen. Take your time with it. Just be patient. So hopefully that clarified some thoughts on, you know, getting started for modding and and also on the whole Zach versus Lord Voltar thing because that always cracks me up when people cannot separate the two at all and he has like a whole group of haters that don't understand it's like the uh, people who think James Rolfe is AVGN not understanding that's a character he plays or like wrestlers and you know wrestlers who play the heel that get spit on after a show like I guess you could say that all of those things are just proof that they're playing the character really well, but it's still not the person. So I don't know. I I, I guess I felt the need to defend him because I agree 100% with this rant at the end about if you're just starting out, do whatever you got to do to to get your mod done and expect that maybe you're going to go back and redo it and try not to hurt the console. But if you're somebody who's doing a terrible mod and selling this overpriced terrible mod to people who don't know any better, then you know, you're know you going to get slack at some point from somebody about it, and you deserve it. 
And I, I'm a hundred percent stand by all of that stuff. So, um, anybody, if anybody has any more questions about this, I guess I'll leave a link to his video and a link to the video we did mocking my work, because once again, that was my choice. I enjoyed the hell out of that. Uh, and I really felt it was educational too. So I'll, I'll end my rant. I really hope this was all interpreted positively because I 99% of what I said, I really meant it that way, but it is definitely something I wanted to share. And I'll probably do something like this every year or two, just to, to address all the new people who have come along, who weren't familiar with all of this stuff and and might not have heard these beginner tips because they're you know just joining the retro gaming scene so sorry to repeat myself for people that have been following for a long time i certainly don't want to disrespect you by word vomiting but i also want to make sure to welcome all the new people to retro gaming and and kind of prepare them for what they might run run into on the good and bad side of things well, that's it for this week. If you're a newcomer to the channel, I, I try not to go off on long rants like that very often, but it does happen, so I guess expect that around once a month. <laughs> I, I try to keep it short, but I'm wordy. What can I say? Uh, and anyway, as always, thanks so much to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and of course, thank you especially to anybody who supports in any way possible, because your support is what's keeping these weekly podcasts all of the behind the scenes research and all of the higher production videos alive. So thank you all very much and I'll see you next week.